Amen. Everybody say Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all of our sweet mothers and all of the ladies of our church. We want to honor you today. When service is over, my wife will be in the foyer and she has a small token of appreciation for uh, you. And I hope that you will take it and uh, you will enjoy it. Amen. So glad that you're here. I was getting ready this morning and my brother sent me an email and he doesn't do that very often. But when he does, I usually read it because it's, in, it's good. And it was, it was fantastic. He sent me a mother's dictionary. A mother's dictionary. Alien. What mom would suspect had invaded her house if she spotted a child-sized creature cleaning up after itself. <laughs> uh, baby. Baby. Number one definition for baby is daddy when he gets a cold. <laughs> Number two is her youngest child, even though he may be 42 years old. Anybody know about that? Amen. Bed and breakfast, two things that the kids will never make for themselves. Couch potato, what mom finds under the sofa cushions after the kids eat dinner. A drinking glass, any carton or bottle left open in the refrigerator. That doesn't happen at your house? Oh, come on, folks. Dust rags, see dad's underwear. <laughs> Empty nest, see wishful thinking. <laughs> yes. Fable. A story that's told by a teenager arriving home after curfew. <laughs> and frozen. Number one definition is a type of food. Number two definition is how hell will be when mom sees her daughter come home with an older guy on a motorcycle. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. If you have your Bibles for just a few moments, and I will not be lengthy will be mindful of your time. I want you to spend with your family. That's one reason why we have no service this evening, so you can do that. And I'm thankful for all of you that are here today. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, or third chapter. I'll get it right here in a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And it reads like this. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of the heart. You are our epistle, known and read of all men. And everybody said amen. I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about a mother's legacy. And you may be seated. 
My mother, my, my wife had her mother's Bible with her this morning, and that Bible is truly a treasure. And if you knew the history of the family and all that my mother-in-law suffered in early life, you would understand that when you open that Bible, there are many pages on which it looks like a child has inadvertently opened, gotten a pencil or a pen and scribbled some unintelligible something beside some verse. But those were not <clears throat> scribbled by a child. They were written by my mother-in-law when she was suffering from <clears throat> seizures, from MS and epileptic issues in her life before the Lord healed her. And she would go to her Bible for comfort and strength. And though she could not legibly write a word, she would make a notation beside those verses that had spoken and ministered to her that day. One of the first things that I encountered when I met my wife and I began dating her was a unique thing about their home. If you were to go into a bedroom or into the kitchen, you might find a little post-it note with a verse of scripture written on that note. I asked after a while what those meant, and they told me those were the verses that God gave us during the midst of our adversities, and those are the things that got us through. I'm thankful for that kind of legacy. You can leave a lot of things in life, but that right there is worth leaving. Amen. And somebody said amen. Today's Mother's Day, and I know that it's not always a happy occasion for everyone. It is a bittersweet time, I'm sure, for those of you that have lost a mother recently, as my wife, and I feel that loss, and I understand that today is a very emotional time for some. There are others that may not have good memories of home, and perhaps you have not... <clears throat> Uh, necessarily uh, look back on that time as a cherished time. But the truth is, we are here today because of a mother. And I am thankful. I, I, one of the things that I've often told our young people when they begin to go through periods of rebellion in their life, I read them a scripture, and, and that scripture is found in James where James said, Honor thy father and thy mother, <clears throat> for that is the first commandment with promise. Now, he didn't say honor them if they're good or honor them if they do right or honor them if they're the kind of parents that you want. It's a simple principle that you honor them and if you will honor them, whether they were good or bad, I'm going to send a promise to your life and I'm going to bless you. Now, folks, what better deal could you get than that than to honor somebody and in honoring them, it turn and come back to you. Amen. And so today we want to honor our mothers. There was a woman asked one day, if she had it to do over again, would she have children? And quickly she said, yes, just not the same ones. <clears throat> Now, I hope you don't feel that way this morning, but maybe some might. But whatever the case, we are here today to 
reflect for a few moments about a mother's legacy. There were four scholars who were arguing over the Bible translations and the ones that they liked the most. One of them spoke up and said that he preferred the King James Version translation because of its beauty and its eloquent old English. Another one said that he preferred the American Standard Bible version for its literalism and the way it moves the reader from passage to passage with a confident feeling of accuracy from the original text. A third man spoke up and he said, Well, I prefer Moffat's translation because of its quaintness and because of the penetrating use of particular words and the turn of a phrase that captures the attention of the reader. Then their eyes fell on the fourth man among them, and he said after giving it thought, he said, I personally prefer my mother's translation. The other scholars chuckled and asked him, your, your, your mother translated the Bible? The man responded, yes, she translated it. She translated each page of the Bible into her own life and it is the most convincing translation that I have ever seen. Amen. The truth is we are all epistles read of all men. And this morning, ladies, I, I want to open your eyes, all of our ladies, I want to open your eyes to the power of your influence and the important place that you hold in the community of, of life and in the community of the church. And I want you to consider for a few moments what kind of translation you are giving to the world around you. When Robert Ingersoll, the notorious agnostic, was in his heyday, he would travel the, the country giving lectures at all of the colleges and higher learning institutions. And at one of the places where he gave his infamous speech, two college students went to hear him. And after it was over on their way home, one of them spoke to the other and said, Well, I guess Robert Ingersoll knocked the props out from under Christianity tonight. The other man said, no, I, I don't think he did. And the, the man said, well, how, how, how do you mean that? He said, well, simply this. Robert Ingersoll could argue a lot of things, but he did not explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, I don't know how I can say it any plainer than that, but this world needs a severe dose of that kind of motherhood. And whether you are a natural mother or you are a surrogate mother, we need women who will stand up and let their life reflect not just this book, but the love of God that this book speaks about and the grace of God and the godliness that this book speaks of and let the world know that there is a God in heaven and he can be seen through your life. 
Come on, somebody clap your hands to me, with me right now to the Lord and praise him. Amen. Our mothers taught us a lot of things. Most of them taught us the first things about many things. First of all, our our mothers taught us the first about religion. Amen. They did. They said, you better pray that comes out of the carpet. Yeah, you better pray that comes up. They taught us about logic because I said so. That's why. Yes. They taught us about how to meet challenges. Answer me when I talk to you. You better not talk back to me. Amen. They taught us about irony. Keep laughing and I'll give you something to cry about. And they taught us about justice. One day you're going to grow up and have kids and they're going to turn out to be just like you. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yes. They taught us a lot of things about life. And in a serious note, the influence of a mother, there is none greater in all the world. I don't remember who said it, but he said that the, the, the woman that rocks the cradle rules the world. And so much in our world is being done to destroy the role of motherhood. Not just abortion, although that is one way of destroying motherhood in our country. But there are other things that are happening that are tearing down the role of motherhood, the media that we are absorbed and we are possessed by is portraying a role of womanhood that is not biblical and it undermines all of the things that are worth remembering and standing for in life. And there is beside that not just the outward things that are happening but there is an epidemic in our world today that is doing more to destroy families and homes and lives than anything that I know of. And it's not abortion and it's not the news media or it's television and all of its proponents, but this one thing is doing more to destroy womanhood and motherhood than anything I know of, and that's selfishness. Self. Centeredness. Life has become about me. We have mothers trying to reinvent themselves as teenagers. We have an epidemic. Oh, I'm going to get in your business this morning. You, might, you didn't come for that on Mother's Day, but I want to get in your business. We have more plastic surgeon clinics than we have hospitals nowadays. You can have it lifted, tucked, pulled. I mean, you, you can... And all of it is done to imply to you as a woman that what God created is not good enough and you need to improve it. And I've come to tell you that that's a lie. And the truth of the matter is that is self-centeredness and selfishness at its highest. What we need is an awakening today and realize that whatever God made was good. And however God made me is good. God designed me. He crafted me. He worked me over and made me in his mind. And if God did all that, there must be something good about me and something worthy. 
Come on, clap your hands to the Lord right now. Amen, amen. I, I get so tired of all of the stuff that is being perpetrated in our world to try to make you feel better. You know what you ought to do? You ought to go home and get this book out and read what God said about you in the psalm. He said, you are curiously made. I worked over you. I labored you. I know all of your members. And you are wonderfully made. You are fearfully created. Don't let anybody tell you that you've got to do something outside yourself to make what God made better. What God made is good enough. You just need to wake up and realize I am something. I am somebody. God gifted me. God blessed me. And now I want to grow into my potential and I want to be what God called me to be. Amen. A mother's legacy. I want to talk to you a little bit about that and what that can mean for our church family and for your family. And the legacy is what you leave behind more than material possessions and more than all of the things that sometimes we get caught up in. You can leave behind much more than that. And a mother's translation of the Bible is the greatest legacy that you could give. And that translation is seen in many things that you have the power to do. The first in, in thing that I want to talk to you about is that your translation of the Bible is revealed in the power of your desires and prayers. Since God created Adam and Eve and there was a fall at the garden, there has been an issue that women have struggled with. Now, I'm going to... I'm going to tread on thin ice for just a moment, but if you'll hang with me, I promise you I'm not going to sell you out, all right? I love my mother and I love all the mothers in this building, but God created man and woman, put them in paradise, and you know the story. They were told they can have anything in the garden but that tree. Don't eat it, and they did anyway. Eve took she gave to her husband and all that went on there. But after that was over with and God began to pronounce the future over them, he made a statement about the woman. He said that your desire shall be toward your husband. Now when you read that, you, it seems like that what he is saying is, that your wants and your desires or your, 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 your manner of pleasing will be toward your husband. But the truth of that translation, that's not what that says. What it literally says is that your life, your desires are going to be in opposition to his desires at many times. And the statement literally says that your desire is going to be to control him. That's what that means. Now, the, 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 the point is, and I'm trying to beat you ladies up, the point is that there was a, an issue going on with a woman's desires. And from that point until now, the influence of a woman's desire over her family, over her husband, over her children has been one of the most powerful influences there is in all of a human's life. The desire that your parents had over you has influenced you to this day. And your desire is so powerful that it can be good or bad. It can have a positive 
or it can have a negative effect. And your influence over your family can bring life or it can bring death. It can bring, it, it can bring increase or decrease. It can release or it can enslave. And I'm going to prove that to you by two women, two mothers in the Bible. One of them is named Hannah. You find her in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, the first chapter. The second mother is a woman we find in Matthew 14 called Herodias. And she was the illicit wife of Herod. And I want you to look at what their desires produced. Hannah's desire produced Samuel the prophet. It produced a child that blessed not only the family, but blessed the entire community of Israel. And the other woman, Herodias, her desire brought about the death of John the Baptist. That's how powerful a woman's desires are. That's why your desires have to be channeled in the right direction. And I have come this morning to encourage you to let your desire be toward good things and godly things and great things for your family and realize that in the possession of your desire is life and death. Somebody said amen. The second point that I want to bring to you is that a translation of the Bible or your life is further seen in a woman's vision. What she sees for her family and what she sees about her family. They were called the sons of thunder, John and James. Their mother was very involved evidently in their life because at one point when these disciples came to be with Jesus, their mother came also and she made a request. She said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, I want you that you would grant my sons to sit on your right and your left. And when we read that story, we look at that woman, we think, what arrogance. Well, who in the world does this woman think she is to ask some thing of that nature. But I want to tell you this morning, I come to applaud their mother. I come to praise her this morning because what I see in this mother is a woman that recognized the best. And she said, that's what I want from my kids. That's what I want from my family. And she recognized where the best could come from. And she pointed her kids that way and said, that's where you want to be. Get as close to him as you can get. Do whatever you can do to be near him because that's where the best in your life is going to be found. And so I come to applaud these, the mother of these sons of thunder because under their influence or under her influence, she pointed them in the right direction. Would to God that we had more mothers like her that wanted their children to excel in spiritual matters more than in popular acceptance and more than being someone who fits in with the crowd. I want to tell you something, folks. You don't know this, 
But when I was younger, I had one of the most severe drug problems you could imagine, and I still suffer. I still struggle with it today. And that drug problem was my mom and dad drugged me to church every time the doors were open. Every time we had an activity around church. Come on, kids, we're going to church. But I don't feel like going to church tonight. I've got something else. I've got homework to do. Well, bless your little soul. You can do homework when you get home. You should have paid attention in school today. And you know what? I don't think I'm that bad a guy. I don't think I'm that... I don't think she did a bad job. There were a lot of things that I didn't get to do. And when I was a kid, I thought that was the worst, absolute worst thing my mom and dad could do to me. And you know what we've done? Because we couldn't do it when we were kids, we let our kids do everything. And now we've got a generation of kids that don't know what really counts in life and don't really know what matters in life. They have a hard time with spiritual values and what really counts and what, what's going to last and what's not going to last. I'm here to tell you I applaud a mother or a dad who will say, you know what, I want to point you toward the church. I want to point you toward God. I want you to be close to God. That's what we're going to focus on. That's what we're going to major on. And when you do that, all those other things come into focus. And you don't miss out on anything in life. I would rather that my children and my family succeed at church than anywhere else in the world. Amen. Give me a nod of some kind if you believe that. If I want anything, I want our kids to be as close to the Lord as they can be. And ladies, you have the power to see that happen because of the vision that you can cast for your family and for this church. The last thing that I want to point you to is that your translation is seen further in the power of your words. The words that you speak every day. Moses' mother's name was Jochebed. When Moses was born, things were not good. It was not a kosher environment. It was not a climate to be housing children in. And yet Moses came. And the Bible said that because Jochebed saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. And then after he reached a point where that was impossible to continue doing that, she made an ark and she put that baby in the ark and put him out in the river. And you know the story. Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe and while she's there, she hears the cry of this child. And so they find the basket. They see the child. Jochebed's daughter was watching and she steps out at the right time. And coincidence, no. God's, God's plan, yes. God brought them together. Okay, I want you to take this child to this woman that you're telling me about and let her wean him and then bring him back to me. And so Jochebed only had a window. She didn't have a lifetime. She just had a window. She had a few years that she could pour into him, but she poured into him word. You know why I know that? Because there came a time in his life 
when he was faced with a decision. Am I going to buy into what Egypt is telling me or am I going to live by what my mother told me? And somewhere in that battleground, Moses stood up and he said, I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Where did that come from? Where did that knowledge come from if it did not come from a mother every day picking him up and saying, Moses, you're a child of God. Don't ever forget that. Moses, you come from good blood. You have the favor of God over your life. Not, my God, I wish you'd get out of the house. You're getting on my nerves. Every day, she spoke words of affirmation over him so that when that time came and he faced that battle of which direction he was going to go in life, he heard the words of his mother, Moses, you're a child of God. He stood up on his feet and he made the decision that changed not only his life, but the world of an entire nation was influenced by that man. This is what one famous man said. He said, my mother said to me, this is what she told him. She said, if you become a soldier, you'll certainly turn out to be a general. And she said, if you decide to become a monk, you will certainly one day end up the pope. That's what this mother told her child. But he said, instead, I became a painter and a Picasso. Mom, your words have more influence than any president or emperor on the face of the earth. Why don't you stand up over your family today and start declaring the word of the Lord? Why don't you stand up over your home? I don't care how bad it's been. I don't care if you've made mistakes. I don't care if you've gone the wrong. I don't care what's happened in the past. You have an opportunity to get on your feet today and say, you know what? The future of my family is going to be different than the past. And I am going to begin to speak a word and a blessing over my family. I am going to speak life over my children and life over my my, my home and I'm going to be a peacemaker and I'm going to be an encourager oh my word and speak life over your family I'm closing you can stand with me if you will Susan Wesley some of you mothers think you've got it you, you got it heavy Susan Wesley didn't have any microwaves she had no washing machines she had no electricity She had no running water. They had an outhouse. All right? That's pretty bad. Anybody remember that? There's a few folks around here that know what an outhouse is. She didn't have any modern conveniences. And to top it all off, she had 17 kids. 17. But Susan Wesley, with 17 kids and no modern conveniences, took time each day to take each child aside for a full hour. Every week she would discuss spiritual matters, and every day she would spend one hour 
praying for her 17 children. No wonder she produced a John Wesley and a Charles Wesley that literally shook England and the United States in the early days and brought great revival to our country. And she did it by unconventional means. And when I read these things, I thought, man, this would, <laughs> this would go over like a, a, a lead balloon in our modern culture. But these are the principles by which she guided her family. Here are a few rules that she trained her children by. Number one, subdue self-will in a child and thus work together with God to save his soul. Now, I, I don't want to try to interpret what that subdue indicates, but I have a feeling I know. Subdue. Anybody ever had to subdue something? That's not time out, folks. Number two, teach him or her to pray as soon as he or she can speak. I told you. Some of you are already. <clears throat> Number three, give him nothing he cries for. Oh, and only what is good for him if he asks for it politely. I can feel a cardiac arrest coming on right now. <laughs> Number four, to prevent lying, punish no fault which is freely confessed, but never allow a rebellious sinful act to go unnoticed. Number five, Commend and reward good behavior. And number six, strictly observe all promises you have made to your child. Amen. This generation needs that kind of man. This generation needs that kind of womanhood. A generation with character that has a moral compass, convictions, values to live by. This generation needs some women who will be promise keepers. They need to be taught the place of wisdom and knowledge. And they need your translation of the Bible. Because the truth is, you're the only translation some of them will ever read. And if you translate this properly, there is a great dividend that comes. Amen. Would you lift up your hands with me right now and let's just praise the Lord together and thank Him for His love and mercy.